As you remain uh, standing in uh, body or spirit, let's come before God's word, quite likely as Jesus and the disciples would have reciting the Shema, or what of course he's called the great commandment. If you'll follow after me in Hebrew, we'll do it together in English. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, you heard Sarah refer to a scripture this morning about the sacrifice of Christ and, and coming into line with the Father's will. That's in Hebrews 10, 5 through 10. Uh, but I have to tell you, uh, a couple weeks ago, Ruth Ann made me an offer and said, uh, instead of speaking on Hebrews, would you like to respond to the anthems that we're going to do at the 9.30 and 11 o'clock service? And so I thought, Hebrews, anthems, Hebrews, anthems, anthems. Hebrews is notoriously difficult uh, to preach on. So anyway, uh, that's why this morning I want to give you a collection of responses that I have, but let's put them under uh, this scripture, Luke 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. It has been said that when people want to make change, uh, they do it by the ballot box or they do it by revolution. But when God decides it is time for a change, God will choose a baby. And so it is in the Older Testament when the Israelites are enslaved to the Egyptians that finally God, hearing the cries and responding to the cries of the slaves, sends the baby Moses. And as we would go on 1,500 years later and people remained enslaved, uh, not only to sin and uh, their uh, proclivity to work against the things that are best for them and others, but enslaved to death as well, again, God will send a baby, this baby, Jesus. Pretty interesting thing, um, as um, a, a grandfather, a couple times over now, and newly reminted uh, as a grandfather, I've been thinking a little bit about babies. We were uh, actually with Sarah at a, um, a, a program at a preschool, and my grandson's uh, class was in, involved. And what was interesting, as my three-year-old eldest grandson was up there uh, doing his uh, small part of the program, I was sitting next to my son and daughter-in-law. And they weren't looking at him for a moment. They were looking at each other. And apparently she is uh, five months pregnant and the baby inside her womb was kicking. And so I saw my oldest son put his hand over there and I saw their attention briefly uh, divided. Uh, it brought me back thoughts to a couple weeks ago where we were visiting our newest uh, grandson who's about uh, seven weeks old. And my uh, daughter-in-law was telling me that uh, my middle son every night during her pregnancy would read to the child and talk to the child in the womb. And, and my wife went ahead and volunteered, well, David didn't do anything like that. 
For David, a baby is not real until he can see it and hold it. Well, okay. Admittedly, I didn't win prenatal father of the year with any of my three kids. You know, there, there are some limitations to my parenting, but typically I tried to be there uh, for uh, school functions and sporting functions and car accidents and uh, breakups, uh, graduation, drop off at college. I typically tried to be there, but of course couldn't be there for everything. I couldn't go to school with them, couldn't go off to college with them. And even today as adults, uh, we don't even share geographical proximity in the same house anymore. There are limitations to what I can do with my three children and to be there with my three children. And one would assume, and hopefully so, uh, there will be a limit to my being with them one day because they'll continue and, and I, I, I won't be here uh, on earth anymore. But it made me think that even though I have limitations, there is a father who has no limitations. There's a father who is there not only in the womb, but actually before the womb. There's a father that is there not only in the tomb, but after the tomb, bringing life out of death. We worship a God who not only brings life to begin with, but brings life after death. And I simply make the assumption that if our Father is there at our beginning and our Father is there at our end, that our Father must be there every time and every place in between. One of the messages of Christmas is not that God just came to be with us for a few moments, but that in Jesus, God came to be with us at every moment and every place we find ourselves. Our um, Jewish ancestors were very careful about the way they used God's uh, personal name. So they would call God by other names. And one of the names that they call God is one I really like. They call God the place. They call God the place. And by that, they meant that not only was God their destination, and not only was God their point of origin, but they also meant that God was their companion, their dwelling place every step along the way. We have a father who's there from before the beginning to past the end. When I think about um, pregnancy and births, I, I think about how long it sometimes, uh, uh, the gestation period varies from uh, animals and mammals and one from one another. You probably are aware of a couple of these. The longest I've found is that elephants have a gestation period of 18 months. And, uh, and possums have the shortest at about 13 days. Now, I think not having ever carried a child, I I guess nine months seems about right to me. I don't know. I haven't had to endure it, but certainly takes that long for the child to form. But I also wonder sometimes if it takes that long for us as humans to kind of adjust from the thought of adding someone new to our family unit. And I think it may take a while to go from the pregnancy test to the labor and delivery room. And and we need time to make that journey. There's time for baby showers. There's time for rearranging or remodeling the house or finding a different house. There's time to find just the right name. There's time, hopefully, to even grab a little sleep. There's time to adjust in this 
journey of nine months or nine or ten months or so. But one of the great things I think about Mary and Joseph is the journey they made. Not only the journey of pregnancy, but the journey they make from Nazareth, Nazareth to Bethlehem. It's not an easy journey. It's a difficult journey and actually has dangers. There's one point in the journey when you're outside of Bethlehem on your way in, and you cross under the shadow of a very large palace. That very large palace in a place called the Herodian belongs to a man named Herod, whose expressed desires that there be no other king beside him. And they walk under the shadow. What a long and, and dangerous journey. But during this journey, perhaps they come to grips what, of what it's going to be like to carry this special child. But this morning, I'm thinking about another journey that was taken, the wise men. Now, obviously, the wise men are the magi. Another word we might use, a loose translation, is scholars. They're people that were like the, the, the uh, nerds of the day, and they were scholars because they could study the stars and, and read things by the stars. And they make a journey. Mary and Joseph's journey is before the birth. The wise men's journey is after the birth, but they're both important. Uh, the wise men were not Christians. There are no Christians now. They weren't even Jews. They were just really smart people. But in, uh, in the way that God communicates, uh, they had realized that something special was happening. So in the journey they made from the east to Bethlehem, I just assume along the way they started talking about who this child might be and what this God of the universe might be up to. We know, of course, that when they got there... At the end of their journey, they presented gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And, and the uh, symbolism in these three gifts have to do with not only the kingship of Jesus, the life of Jesus, but also his destiny as well as myrrh is a, a burial, um, uh, anointment used for burial. And we think about those gifts. But I'm thinking as long as that journey was, for people who didn't start out as believers in that God, that that journey itself was their gift, even more so than anything they brought to the baby Jesus. I, I thought about this a few, uh, seven weeks ago when our, our newest grandchild um, was born. And you understand as a grandparent, it is like incumbent on me. I have to talk about my grandchild. Okay. Just want to make sure we're all playing by the same rules. I mean, you have to do that. So anyway, we got news of the birth. We were eating dinner at home in San Antonio. So immediately we wolfed down what was left of dinner, take the dishes, throw them in the sink, jump in the car, and head up to Austin. And I think we brought some gift, but I think the gift was overlooked by the mom and dad. They were more, I think, appreciative of the fact that we had made the journey and that we were present. And so our journey to Austin in the night was in a sense a gift, but you, of course, know the real story, and that is it was much more a gift to us than it was our gift to them. I think that's how journeys are in faith. I want to tell you that the journey to prepare for Jesus during Advent is very important, and that is your gift to the babe. But I also want to tell you that there is a journey that can start today or tomorrow night where you take the news of Christ's birth and journey with that for a while and think about what that means for your life and your world. And I think that's also a gift to Christ. But I think if you journey and walk in the faith and think about the faith over these next days and weeks, I believe you'll find that this journey 
is not just your gift to God, but it is God's special gift to you. It's kind of interesting to me that God would work through a baby just to begin with. I mean, you know, babies are, are vulnerable. They can catch illnesses, disease, and uh, they're, they're so fragile. And the mortality rate, infant mortality rate, of course, is much higher in the baby Jesus day than in our day. And, and part of me wants to say to God, is this any way to run a kingdom? Yeah. To do it through a baby? And so I thought about what advantages are there in working through a baby anyway? Well, one of the advantages, it seems to me, is what you probably know intuitively as a grandparent or aunt or uncle or neighbor or mom and dad, and that is anytime you have a baby, it takes a whole community to raise that baby. At some point, you just have to get in the shower. Or at some point, you just need a couple more hours sleep. Or you need to get to the grocery store. At some point, there are things that we have to do And they only become possible as parents when other people step in and help us. Uh, Right now, I know that in Austin, there's like a gang of people raising our newest grandbaby. And I think that's how God intended. There's something about a baby that creates community. A baby really creates family in a new and powerful way. And I I think God's thinking, I could send Jesus as an adult and get some stuff done. But part of what I want done is to pull people together all along the way. Something about a baby, I think, that really creates and sustains and strengthens community. But I also think there's this. There's something about a baby that teaches us that you have to be careful about making judgments too soon. I don't know. Do you do this in in your family or somebody's born and, and, and the baby is like 23 inches long or something really amazing, and you're going like, oh, that's a basketball player. Or, or, you, uh, or the baby kicks a lot in the womb, and you say, oh, well, that's a soccer player. Uh, we sometimes make pronouncements about the baby, or this, look how he, it, she takes in everything. She is really a smart child. Well, of course, they're all smart if they're related to us, Right? But if you notice how people make pronouncements, but of course, we don't take them seriously. We don't, I don't want to come back 18 years later and say, you said he was going to be a soccer star, and he doesn't even like sports. We don't, do, we don't take that seriously, but I think what we learn to take seriously is you can't make judgments too soon. Nobody really knows if the baby's going to grow up and be bald or not. You, you got to guess, but you don't know. You know, the baby's going to grow up and like science. The baby's going to grow up to be a, a world-famous dancer or singer. You just don't know. And so one of the great things about babies is they, they teach us the value of suspending judgments. I think we make quick judgments in this world, and, and we do them in self-defense. We have to make assessments quickly because so many things happen in our world that we just, we just tend to put people in a box so we can kind of deal with it and move on. But babies scream, don't put me in a box. Don't assume that you know where I'm going or what I'm going to become or what I'm doing. Why don't you follow me, get to know me, and find out? Babies remind us of how important it is that we really take each other seriously and get to know each other and not just put each other in a box because of our profession or where we live or our our religion that we follow. I'm reminded of a story I think I've told you before. It was the holiest day of the year, and the 
in the synagogue and, and the rabbi got up to make a speech, but was holding a baby that was uh, six months old. And the baby, first thing he did was grab the glasses off the rabbi's uh, face. And at first people were, <gasps> and then they kind of smiled. And then the baby took the rabbi's text for the sermon and was messing with the papers. And at first everybody kind of, <gasps> and then they were laughing and they were all smiling and the baby began even to get loud. And so the rabbi couldn't talk. And then the rabbi stepped to the side of the pulpit and said, that you'll forgive the baby for giving my, getting my glasses. You'll forgive the baby for tearing my paper. In fact, at six months old, you'll forgive this baby for just about everything. And the rabbi got serious and said, tell me at what age you won't forget the baby, forgive the baby for doing things. Six, 13, 21. It reminds us that we not only don't judge people in the beginning, but maybe as they get older, we tend to judge them even more harshly and we quit giving them chances and opportunities. Babies need time and room and space and freedom to grow because you just never know where a baby's going to go and what a baby might end up doing with our love and support. One of my favorite stories took place many, many, many years ago. It was back in the days when we didn't have a postal system quite like we had today. And we might complain at how slow sometimes our mail gets through at Christmas when it's so heavy. But it was really slow in the early 19th century. And in fact, the 19th century, they would have uh, mail carriers that would probably only come every month or six weeks. And they would bring all the mail that they had to your town, but they also became news carriers. They would tell you anything that had happened in Washington, D.C. that you needed to know, any new laws that were enacted. And they would also tell you the news of the previous town. So, for example, let's say I lived in Comfort. They might come from Bernie to Comfort and give me the news of Bernie. Or they might come from Comfort to San Antonio and give me the news of Comfort and Bernie in San Antonio. And so they collected news along with the mail and took it to the next station down the line. Well, apparently, uh, the story is told that in 1809, in the early spring, uh, in in a place that didn't get mail very often, sort of the backwoods of Kentucky, the rural mail carrier delivered the mail and then thought he'd get the news. And he said, look, what's happening here? Anything I need to know about? And the person receiving the mail thought about it for a moment, said, you know, no, nothing nothing really ever happens back here. Nothing really changes much. And the mail carrier started to leave. And then he said, oh, yeah, one thing did happen a few weeks ago. He said, the Lincolns had a baby boy. In 1809, it meant nothing. By 1861, it meant everything. 